before we begin, we'd like to ask a favor. If you could take a moment to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen, we'd really appreciate it. We're told it helps the show find new listeners. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy the show. This is the 10th episode in the series where we talk about the short story form, the writing process, and how to get published. The BLB podcast is a new project from Brick Lane Bookshop. I'm Kate Ellis, and this is my co-host, Peter J. Coles. Hello! Vanessa Omowesi is a writer and poet living in London. Her work has appeared in Granta, Prototype, Freeze, and Five Dials. Her story, At the Heart of Things, won the White Review Short Story Prize in 2019. Her debut short story collection, Dark Neighbourhood, is published by Fitzcarraldo. And now Vanessa Onwamezi is going to read from her story, Bright Spaces. The cat's paws brush through the letterbox, looking for some jellied meat or an opening in the family. Cat pushes a letter through the door. The letter marked J.H. Otessa, dead brother of mine. My brother's bed sheets still warm, sweaty. My brother's paw prints dented into the doormat. Rainwater falls heavy from the gutter, makes me look up, makes me remember what day it is, what time it is. I call my little girl's name, Annette A. A. Annette A. A. Voice through the wall. And the echo of her name, Annette, from the other side. Her face screwed up, fingers in ears not to have to hear, Annette all the damn half hour of the morning, of all the days to be playing up the day of the funeral day, late for church day. But a child can grieve. Let the child be grieving. Let the child be. Eight years old were you, brother, and I a bit older. I see you running down the street, a sun-blazed strip lined with flowers begging for water, petals blown out hearts. It was a day with corn, heavily spiced and salted, smoke and charcoal, nice, heat beating a path into our bones, our brows wet. You had a rug tied around your neck with garden twine. Lying out in the sun, charge up, charge up before flying off past the street light, past the telephone wire, past the aeroplane. Almost choked yourself to death. I stretched a hand out to you, hooked onto a gate latch, the lynch mob's latest victim, to save you from a strangling. You hit my hand away, and again. Something in your eyes said, this isn't a game, but I pulled you up, pulled up out the fire that time, my hand melting into yours. The church is cold, warmed with bodies, they sitting on they heels. Huh. Sitting in the dirt. Huh. Rocking on their legs. Mouth open moans, we perform the wailing of the milk. Mouths open red and glistening, we grieve. Divide up the ashes and return to our leaking gutters. You were fifteen, you were fine. Then acting strange. Where's my outline? You'd say on repeat, scratching at the armchair as if it was a life raft. You alone in an ocean, 
the deep, deep. You're rubbing me out, you'd say. Don't tell me I didn't warn you. I warned you. And we couldn't touch you. You were so gone. Daddy shake you by the shoulders, his wrists strong, finger knuckles pale. It was fear, not anger, made him act. Fear, not anger, made mother a quiet spot of light, a reflection on the wall. Just before, we had seen a cat at the side of the road, struck dead in the morning's bending light. Covered in a towel, we lifted to see its face, jaw shut, eyes closed. You were adamant that the cat, the beast, had taken a part of you with it to hell. I'm closing your bank account. Looking for details. Details. A statement. A letter. Couldn't you have kept this room in less disarray? Everything had its place in your mind, sure, and now I'm sorting through your memory bank of bird junk. Like our guttering, stuffed with leaves and debris, bottle tops, sweet wrappers, not meant for the nest of a natural thing. Your hospital letters and prescriptions all around here. Your bed sheets warm, sweaty. Let me tell you, brother, there's money in that account. Why did you spend so much time on the streets when you could have been living something better than you did? Doodles over everything. Crabs walking off the page, snakes eating their own tails, horseshoes, kites a diamond divided into four, a lightning bolt striking the letter X. Thumbs up was your best doodle. The white and pink of the nail a clean line. Skin taut over the knuckles, a few hairs, the perspective so that the curl of the fist leant towards you. I saw you perfect that from the first year of school, to the age of university, smart boy, you came home with new words in your mouth, reciting the words like a humming prayer, vindicate, orify, assimilate, quantum, divinity, ontology, petrica, ossify, gravitation, explication, commodification, metaphysical, ad infinitum, flufenazine, clozapine, and then catiapine, pontificate, capitulate, and then exonerate, and then, and then. Month on month, your presence became an absence. Between your two eyes lay an open road. Yet you could explain to me that energy cannot be created or destroyed. The smallest fragments come together only to later be pulled apart, and you, created, uncreated one manifestation of a constant vibration from which you were formed and to which you would return. You were never really born and won't ever die. Vanessa, thank you for reading. Um, I really wish I'd listened to the audiobook rather than reading it because the, you get the sense of the rhythm in the writing, but when you read it, it's something else. Um, would you be able to describe the collection for our listeners? Gosh, um, I don't know. <laughs> don't know where to go with that. Um, maybe actually the I could help best. You out with some like you know plaudits from people. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, keywords. Yeah, I can. Um... Well, I I was going to say that actually the kind of description of the collection I most liked was uh, 
it was like a constellation, which mm. I really liked. I mean, how true it is is for readers to decide, but I really liked it because I think um, it described the way that the stories kind of um, fit together um, and kind of they're in each other's orbit, but they're not, um, they're, they're independent in a way. Like they, there isn't a theme as such to the collection. It's just that they're like each, each collection kind of, um, each story, sorry, kind of occupies its own space. And what joins them is a kind of shared sense of the world and style more than anything else. I think most of the characters are in a kind of um, transition, like they're in a, a kind of, uh, they're all in this very kind of rare place, maybe in most people's lives, where you're just kind of completely um, naked and you can't hide from yourself. The, uh, I'd say that's where a lot of these characters are. And in the stories, we meet them there. I was sort of going through all the characters in the stories as you said that that sort of moment of vulnerability and it's true mm. you catch them when they're raw mm. um, yeah. but it's like really ambitious in setting and wide ranging like there's a story set on an estate and there's one in Reno there's one in Spain like where how, where are your influences where do, where do you get your ideas from um I think just uh, anywhere really I suppose um living just living life you're just bombarded with so like such a wide range of stuff aren't you anyway like I can watch a documentary and I'm and I kind of get a sense of what life is like in one place and I um you know I can read the news like news articles uh about what's happening in Spain or you know there I think they just come from living really and then every now and again something kind of works its way into you and then comes out as a story I think but I suppose they're all often often you're saying the same thing over and over again in different disguises but um but yeah I suppose the more you can take in the more material like kind of metaphorical material you have to play with you mentioned that the collection is not sort of connected by a theme but more about style and i found that a lot of the pieces they had a lot of poetry in them and i know you're a poet um lots of the stories feel like they're sort of long poetic verses i wonder if you could discuss when do you know when to bring a poem into the piece i don't know really i think i'm just trying to kind of take a mental picture of what i think it the only story which has what kind of most obviously looks like a poem or like kind of poetic verses, Dark Neighbourhood, where right at the beginning, there's this like all actually dotted through, but the main part is at the beginning, these kind of first like lines. And I think there, um, I don't know, I think um, often when something is most difficult to express, Poetry is the better mode for that. Um, prose by itself can sometimes has a can have a tendency to be too explanatory or descriptive. So um, to take the story Dark Neighborhood as an example, 
I had, I think I'd got some way with it, like two pages in, and then I kind of just got stuck. I didn't really know where to take it. So I left it for a while. Um, and in between that time, I read it, happened to read a poem, which kind of unlocked the story again for me. And I think maybe it was that that influenced this kind of verse that I put in there. Having said that, yet like yes, the the kind of whole collection is kind of like prose poetry. I've been told. And <laughs> uh, do you not consider it to be prose poetry? <laughs> well, um, I don't reject that at all. Um, I think I just hadn't really thought about it too much like if if you'd asked me what I was writing I would have said a short story and I still do and I would have said prose as well maybe because um it has you know I'm writing something which in many ways is just a traditional story it has a kind of narrative sense it's going somewhere it's not um a lot of my characters do you know, it is quite embodied. Like they, especially with a story like Green Afternoon, for example, there's a, like a clear direction that character is going in, and they announce right at the beginning what they're planning to do, and all this stuff happens. Um, so I suppose that's why I would have called them stories. Um, but yeah, I mean, people are free to call them what you know what they like. I'm not. I don't mind at all. But um, I suppose maybe because the the way they're written is the best way I found to write, I suppose, that you kind of don't really, I hadn't noticed as much um, how verse-like they were, you know what I mean, until you've taken a step back or a step away from it and then you're coming back to look at them a lot later on. So in a sense, like there isn't really, it's hard to apply the word decision to like that kind of like all to most people's writing process i think it depends what kind of um artist you are but for me uh it really is just a case of one thing after another and almost I, I, i'm not like blind when i'm writing like i but you're making my mind is really focused on like technical decisions and trying to make things good in that way like to try and write find the right word for something or to figure out how to manage you know a shift in point of view like all those technical things kind of like you're just you know you're building a house or something that's why I'm concerned with and then everything else you trust to take care of itself mm-hmm. so um if like the closest thing you come to a decision is more like a kind of sense or like another you know a kind of sixth sense or a feeling like this is right this isn't right this sounds right this does this sounds wrong um and then you make your way to a first draft that way and then you take feedback and then you reassess what you thought was right the first time (laughs) when i'm reading your work i find that the the meaning sort of follows after the words like a sort of sonic boom and they all just sort of come at once or or a bit like a word cloud where you see all the words together, but then suddenly the meaning sort of rises to the top. Mm. And I found it so interesting because I've never really had that experience before, especially the story Dark Neighborhood, um, when you get to the end and you realize that something transcendental is happening 
Or is it? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I felt like something transcendental was happening to the character. Yeah, I think that um, the kind of feeling I had um, writing the end of that story was the actual, the last two words, the same words as uh, the story by Cortazar called The Southern Thruway. Mm. And uh, at the end, it's, so it's about a traffic jam actually like these people are stuck in a traffic jam for a long time it's a kind of like a, like what he did so well was this kind of anti-realism I guess you could call it where there's this traffic jam but then it stretches on seemingly forever and all this stuff happens and then suddenly it's over and yeah, I have the similar feeling that it was kind of transcendental where he, I don't know, like he was falling apart as an individual as this traffic jam kind of came to an end and the last words are only ahead. And I have this, yeah, really kind of deep, profound, like connection with that story. And I did try to, I felt like those are the perfect last words, but I did try to find other ones because I didn't want, really want to use them. But in the end, they were the only ones that really worked. So I used them. But then it means I can talk about the story and hopefully people will read that one because um, it's great. I don't think there's anything wrong with making that connection, is there? Mm, yeah. Again, it's like another moment of transcendence, isn't it? Connecting to this other piece of work. So yeah, it's a, it's a very beautiful piece. It is beautiful. It's also pretty bleak. <laughs> it's I, I, it kind of um, <clears throat> made me think about impending climate doom yeah. and the, the sort of chaos of our future. And mm. Are these things that you're considering as you're writing? Um, I, no, I wasn't considering them in, in the sense that I wanted to put them in. But obviously, in writing, I, I, I think to myself, oh, this, this feels a little bit like um, a refugee camp, I, I imagine, because it's oh, so much about waiting. Um, so like that went through my mind but I get a bit superstitious about it like kind of um imposing meaning on things when I'm trying to write it just because then you start meddling I think like your mind starts you start thinking about what you should write rather than what you actually are writing and I I do want the story to kind of just um be what it what it is rather than trying to impose my kind of politics on it I suppose so there is always, and of course, um, in reference to the climate, there is this sense of waste, I suppose, as a, like a, a, a waste pit or a heap of waste. And there's this problem of flooding because they cut all the trees down. Um, but I think the, the material issues they face are... I think in this story, they're much more obviously connected to the characters uh, in a state. It's like much more kind of bare there because they have a sense that all they need is the thing that they want, whatever the thing that they're waiting for. And as a result, that kind of dictates how they treat other people and everything around them, like this kind of inner desperation. Mm -hmm creates the world they live in essentially and I think that's much more important and and that's something that I couldn't have 
I don't think I could have written if I were thinking too hard about it. I think that kind of is what the story wanted to show me rather mm-hmm. than me in, like kind of imprinting on it. And I think if I think too hard, I end up with something lesser just because I can only think with the material I already have. I can only think about what I already know. And that's not what I want. I want something new, like completely new. I want what I don't know. So yeah, like the, there's the material references, obviously, like climate and all these things that come out of it. And I think there's this deeper thing, which, yeah, like I didn't really consider when I was writing it just because mm-hmm. I find, find it's better or I don't. <laughs> the BOB podcast is brought to you by Brick Lane Bookshop. As a thank you for listening to us talk about short stories, we're offering all listeners a 10% discount. Just use the code BLBPOD, that's B-L-B-P-O-D, for a 10% discount off any purchase at bricklanebookshop.org. I think all of your characters are very kind of present in the precise moment of the story, and I think that mm-hmm. makes the, the stories extremely powerful. Like, especially the... Um, the guy in Green Afternoon, mm-hmm. um, a man who watches a young man die, and it's so moving and kind of... C- could you talk about how you um, thought about choosing to write from that point of view in that story and why you selected him? One day I w- was walking through... I don't really know why I was there. I think I'd been working. <laughs> I was in Notting Hill and I was looking like there are these like kind of private garden spaces um and I was kind of looking into one of those I don't know why I selected this character in particular he was just kind of in my mind I think um I had this image of somebody uh sitting in a chair like a deck chair with I know a book and it I don't know I just always had the sense that it was a man um and yeah I don't really know why I think the character just was kind of there for that one sometimes I do question characters like whether they should be a man or woman but usually they just kind of arrive fully they arrive with a an outline that I kind of just follow or kind of builds on as you write the story yeah and I think maybe there's this connection with his manhood and the kind of manhood or like the kind of potential of this boy that has died and this kind of something this masculinity and the connection between the two is quite important for the Mm -hmm. story and like the momentum of the story um yeah so and I think perhaps he the way he relates to the boy probably makes sense that they relate to each other by gender it's almost like a fatherly concern isn't it yeah and and i think like the character has a sense that it could have been him mm. in that position and um and there's a an amount of guilt that comes out of that as well just going back to the writing itself it almost seems like you've got this clairvoyancy like the the words are coming through you maybe mediated by you but they're, they're, they're coming from somewhere other. Maybe that's true, maybe that's not true. I mean, some of that is, some of that isn't. 
I read in an interview that you said uh, that when I let go, things just tend to happen. I write things that I didn't think I could. Uh, how do you do that? What techniques do you have for just letting go when writing? Um, I think that it comes with practice. I kind of always look at it as a kind of, like if you might imagine, <clears throat> like it's more like a cultivation, like in the way that say you'd cultivate the ground for crops or to grow things. It's more like that. So you're in it, you put yourself in the right state of mind to just be able to, um, I guess, like cool this thing down. You know what I mean? Like you're, um, but I think like uh, the, that isn't really separate from living. Like it's not really separate from the rest of my life. And I've actually learned so much about living from writing and all the time things that I have these realizations where I'm like, wow, like when I'm writing, I don't, I, I, I kind of have a better idea of living when I'm writing than I do when I'm doing other things, if that makes sense. And suddenly I'm like, oh, I'm always talking about how, you know, when I'm writing, I do this and it's easy why don't I do this in the rest of my life? Like when I'm banging my head against the brick wall. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it's taught, taught me a lot, the kind of like writing process. And I think, um, do you know, I think you just have to learn to trust yourself. That's what I was going to say. I think that's the main thing. Like I think once you realize that you're, right <laughs> and what I mean by that is that it's not that you're always like right in the relative sense in the sense that everything you do will be the right decision but rather that you can handle wrong decisions like and you have to trust yourself to be able to do that because once you do actually a lot of the noise in your mind you can drop because a lot of it is just worrying like what people think what they might be thinking what might happen if something goes wrong but if you know that you can handle all of that then it like you don't really have to think very much and then <laughs> and then actually you realize all this stuff is already there like it's all there mm -hmm. just waiting for you to kind of chill out like <laughs> and then it's easier to write yeah. <laughs> yeah and it's not like it like it's not like I don't sit there for hours on end writing nothing I do like and it's not like I don't have days where I just kind of I'm like this isn't happening or some days where I just have to say well you just have to write something write whatever you can for an hour and do that you know I have all those days as well but I think um now I've been doing it for a few years you kind of um learn your own rhythms and you know when to stop and you know like like this cultivation like if I you know I learn how to grow corn year on year it's better and I get a high yield and I am more efficient and I spend less time frustrated because I know when it's like I know how to treat myself and I know how to treat the work now I mean uh, uh, speak to me in like a year and we'll see how <laughs> see how well this is going you might be but, in a fellow season maybe yeah I okay. definitely like yeah and we all have that and do it, all of our seasons are different like some people can just seem to just churn it out and like I'm definitely not one of those like I'll have a you know like a year maybe where I don't really do anything and then all of a sudden there's lots of stuff there and 
um yeah and then you won't see me for <laughs> see me for months or weeks but yeah I think getting back to your question I think that's the main thing I think that's the biggest kind of gift like a, a long time ago somebody told me uh to trust myself and that and at the time I didn't really know what that meant and like in learning what that meant I realized it's a real gift and everyone should do that for themselves it's not like every day is a win you know what I mean like there's so many days when that's not the case but I think there's just those kind of dips are much easier when you know that you'll be fine you know when you know that things are actually fine like all of those um frustrations are much less frustrating and uh crippling <laughs> you trust that you'll get to it in the end however long it takes yeah or but also i'm like if i don't it's all right yeah. like it's like the world isn't going to end i can do something else it's not a like, high risk business is it yeah well, well like it's it's all relative like if you feel like if you have the sense that something um you're like the world is going to end if you're if you don't write another book then that is reality for you and then you live according to that reality rather than the one where it doesn't really matter and like in either in both realities you could probably write another book you know what I mean but there's just much less stress mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah I think I would and a better book yeah. not believing the world is going to end yeah it's a lot of pressure it's a lot of pressure and you know there are other things to do like yeah. eat bagels and <laughs> read books yeah Yeah. (laughs) go to the cinema (laughs) could you talk a little about your editing process as well is that Mm. another kind of case of trusting yourself because there's one of the things i noticed about your writing is that it's like poetry there's there's not there's no wasted words there's lots of vivid imagery and details packed in How, how do you make sure that that happens um yeah for that it's definitely not just me like no I don't trust myself at all I um uh well like I'll do a few drafts of a story and again talking about kind of what kind of writer you might be you like I tend to write really slowly but I don't tend to do huge number of drafts like I'll write I'll get it down on the page and tinker with it but then more or less I'm happy with it. Um, and then uh, so I'll go through maybe two or three drafts of a story and then I'll show it to friends. I have like other writers um, that I met when I was doing my MA actually and we meet every week and I'll um, kind of submit it to the workshop and then and I trust them and, and they're like excellent editors Um and they will give me the feed, like honest feedback. And then I know I can go with that and rethink things. Um, I think there's just always like editing is a part of the writing process, but I find either you put it away for a long time so you can be your own editor, which can sometimes, I think for me, it needs to be quite a long time. You know, it needs to be quite like a year really before I can look at it objectively or you have other people to who will tell you the truth about it and um and you take their you know take everything on board and the things that resonate with you especially you kind of address so yeah 
that's it. And then much later when we edited the book, um, me and my editor at Fitzcarraldo, um, I guess it was more of a fine-tuning thing. And then I, yeah, I suppose I went through and looked really critically at certain passages and sentences. And yeah, it was quite as meticulous as I could be with what words were there and um and each sentence I kind of went through and made sure it was I guess it's just as good as good good at writing as I could make it it's so interesting that you do put a lot of faith in your writing group so is that a very important part of the process then giving it out and seeing what people think yeah I think so um I suppose there is a world in which that um that doesn't happen like but I do think it's an important part of the process I think you yeah just to get like another lens on the story I think also for me because of the way the writing is I um the first time I kind of shared these stories in these collections I just wanted to know that it was readable and made sense because I, yeah, like there are certain ones that I remember at the heart of things, I think was the first, um, it was the kind of first story of this style that I wrote. I wrote Heartbreak at the Soupate before that and then went back to it. But um, yeah, and I was just like, I don't know if this will make any sense to anybody. So I really just wanted to know that more than anything else because I find it, I found like it's, for me, an important part of the learning process. And I think when you're writing things that are very experimental, um, there is a kind of, like I do, I can't necessarily be in an echo chamber with that because there's a danger that the work only made, made sense to me. <laughs> and then I, um, and I suppose like I, if I'd sent it out to competitions, I would have got that feedback eventually, like if it got somewhere there's my answer but obviously if you have someone to read it and say yeah I, I know this is what I got and I'm like oh yeah you do you did follow it that's good um then that's great so yeah I think that's why it really helps me I have, I have one more editorial question and that is do you because you're from a sort of poetry background I was wondering whether you read your stories out in order to edit them and better sort of understand how they sound yeah yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention that in the last editing <laughs> question. But yeah, I read it all aloud um, from the beginning, really, um, to, as you say, to check that it kind of sounds right and that the punctuation is in the place that I want it to be in. And um, yeah, with the gaps, obviously, like they're, they are kind of deliberate pauses. So they kind of, they do reflect I guess, the more oral quality of the writing. Um, so, yeah. And, uh, I mean, obviously, the the stories that are really long, like, I get, <laughs> get a bit tired. Because usually when I start writing, uh, when I start writing at the beginning of the day, I'll read the story from the beginning first up to wherever I got. Um, but as the story gets longer, with the shorter ones, that's easy. But with the longer ones, you're there like two hours later. Like, <laughs> I still haven't finished reading yeah. the bit I got to. It's like the so, game I went to the supermarket and I bought. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it is. It just keeps getting longer. So, um, but yeah, more or less, it came quite naturally to 
me to do it just because I need to hear it I think that's kind of I yeah I do write with my ear actually yeah they're quite uh I guess like the rhythm and the kind of music of it is quite important so yeah for me it felt kind of natural to read it because you have an audiobook out as well don't you and I didn't know this and after your reading today I really want to go back and listen to your other stories read by you as well great but talking of publication um, you've been published by Granta Five Dows you won the right review um, I've published you on Mirror Online before and now you're published with Fitzcarraldo could you talk about your road to getting published by Fitzcarraldo yeah so I published a um, short story in the white review um, the year before, so this was in 2020, I think, it was Bright Spaces, which is in this collection. Um, and then the year before that, I had won the Right Review Short Story Prize. But it was after I published Bright Spaces that um, uh, an editor from Fitzcarraldo got in touch. And I was some way towards finishing this collection at that point. Um, so at the end of the year, I just sent it uh like kind of in its finished form to Fitzcarraldo and that was it really the rest is history <laughs> I think at the same time I I had also sent it out to a, um, a couple of agents so I ended up um with an agent before uh Fitzcarraldo made an offer uh of publication so I kind of like through no kind of work of my own or through no kind of like forward thinking of my own, ended up with my ducks in a row, sort of. Like I had an agent and then I had the book deal, even though I'd sent it all out kind of haphazardly at the same time. So, yeah, that's it really. Did you submit anywhere else or just to Fitzcarraldo? Um, just to Fitzcarraldo, I think. Like it had kind of been... Uh, a little bit by accident because oh, obviously they had asked and I think actually they I got another email I think that's what it was they kind of chased and then I was like oh okay send it <laughs> and then um one of the agents I spoke to was like oh we like to wait before we <laughs> contact publishers and I was like oh well it's gone now I did have some other publishers in mind and I was planning to send them but I had just hadn't hit send on those emails yeah and then I didn't because I I was advised that that's like don't do that just yet <laughs> so yeah but anyway it was fine because uh, like Fitzgerald is great and I, I'd had them you know I, I wasn't new to their work I'd read their books and had them in mind for sure so I'd like to know what you're writing now have you got a new project have you got more stories in the pipeline so kind of in collaboration with the American University in Paris, uh, I've, they run a series um, of kind of, say, like 800-word stories um, called the Cahiers series, and they kind of have translation as their kind of overarching theme, sort of, for the whole series, and they ask writers to... Um, collaborate with them on that so that's what I'm looking to get started in the next couple of weeks hopefully um, and obviously you would you know from the collection that language and kind of playing with it and how we use it and how it sounds is uh, 
important to me or at least it's an interest of mine so yeah thinking about translation and what that means in terms of language and understanding and uh and i guess thinking for want of a better word um or the psyche is uh yeah something i want to think about when i'm writing this next thing the final question is um what are you reading now and are there writers or books that you always return to um right now i'm reading well i'm reading in fits and starts uh doris lessing's a briefing for a descent into hell which yeah i think is great uh, amazing just brilliant writing i have to say um and the writers i keep going back to are cortesar for sure and kafka mm-hmm. probably um and also a writer called jane ann phillips um who um she's published uh like a decent amount of novels but the particular book i have is called a uh, short story collection called black tickets um and here yeah, i'm probably forgetting somebody which is it's going to be sad but um but yeah i think those are the first ones that come to mind it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast and i hope we can have you on again maybe when your next short story collection comes out that'll be great let's hope so it's thank you very much thank you Thanks for listening to the BLB podcast. Please remember to rate and review us. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. You can get in touch on social media via at Brick Lane Books or email us at inquiries at bricklanebookshop.org. This podcast is brought to you by Brick Lane Bookshop. It was produced and edited by Kate Ellis and Peter J. Coles. And music was by Andrew Everett. You can find previous episodes of the podcast at bricklanebookshop.org or search Brick Lane Bookshop wherever you find podcasts.